0: Covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley.
1: It is indeed time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us today. As always, I appreciate you taking a moment or so to uh, listen to the program. If you ever want to uh, give any feedback, either on anything that we talk about or just the podcast in general, Feel free to uh, drop me a tweet at Matt Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y radio, or you can email me matt.pauley at wtmj.com. We've got a big program today. We are treating today's program, you know, generally we look back at the last week that was. Well, this is a good mile marker point. As we record the podcast on Sunday night, uh, the Brewers have completed April action. And they are uh, just about set to uh, hit the road, but we are going to look back at the first month of the season. And the Brewers are thirteen and thirteen. They're sitting right at five hundred. I think I I speak for myself and uh, some other folks I've spoken with. I think everybody can be pretty happy about a thirteen and thirteen record through the first month of the season. Two things jump out at me. One the combined wins from each of the last two aprils equal 13 so they match their win total from the past two aprils in one april the second thing they left some wins on the table they left there, there was multiple games uh, some games against chicago that first game against atlanta on friday night there are some games in this season that the brewers absolutely should have won and they could easily be above 500 and that's a good, that's a good place for this team to be. I've been at times critical of the team on my post game show on WTMJ, and when I've been critical on some things, I've said this many times. I'm holding the Brewers to a higher standard than maybe I have previously because I have I have expectations that they can be a pretty good club this year. Now what's your definition of pretty good club? Is it, a, is it a 500 club? Is it a little bit above 500? Whatever it might be, you know, it's kind of a it's a vague innocuous kind of term, but I think they're going to be a pretty good club. And there's games that I expect them to win. Are there issues with this team? Of course there are issues with this team. You know, it, there's a reason that you know people in Las Vegas thought they were going to be you know, one of the worst teams in all of baseball from a from a win loss standpoint. I don't think they're going to be there, but it's a really good place to be. If you can play close to 500 over the first two three months of the season, you never know what might happen. You're going to be right there in striking distance uh, of a wild card and I'm not saying this team's going to get a wild card this year, but how great would it be if they go into July? and they're right around 500, and they're kind of in striking distance of a wild card, that's a chance for this team to play meaningful games in the second half of the season. And for these young players who have never experienced that, to be able to go through that, and even if it doesn't result in them uh, eventually getting that second wild card, and, and you know, if we're being honest about it this team probably isn't poised to get into the postseason this year, but just being able to play those kind of games towards the end of the season would be uh, would be huge, but they've uh, a good first month, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves a good first month they are 13-13 and 13. Uh, they open up a four game series in St. Louis that's always a tough place for them to play so we'll see how that, uh, how that that plays out but so far so good for the brewers and they have absolutely been a fun team to watch so on tap for this edition of brewers extra needs the podcast powered by wtmj mobile in our social media roundtable this week we are going to be joined by adam rigg from uh, the brewer nation and also contributor to FanRag Sports. As uh, always, enjoy talking to him. Going to get his take on the first month of the season, and we're going to go uh, down on the farm and look back at the first uh, few weeks of the minor league system. Uh, this week, instead of having one of the minor league broadcasters on, we want to take a step back and really look at the entire system. So we're going to bring uh, Brad Ford on, who really covers the minor league system from top to bottom. He is a contributor to both uh, Disciples of Euchre and uh, also uh, Brew Crew Ball. So those are our guests. But before we get to our
0: guests, we got to get to our headline of the week it doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter there's always news about the brewers let's look back at the week that was with matt's headlines of the week
1: this week's headlines of the week well eric thames just continues to absolutely destroy the baseball uh, as the brewers uh, had a very good series against cincinnati Eric Thames had a amazing series against Cincinnati, which is no shocker. He hits uh, three home runs in the first two games of that series. In fact, uh, he had at least one home run in every single game against Cincinnati through their first six matchups. It was finally on Wednesday the 26th when he did not hit a home run against Cincinnati, but uh, they Eric Thames has just been continues to be one of the talks of baseball. Now kind of the downside of that is the put in air quotes, the random testing unquote, of of players. Because Eric Thames is just getting tested over and over and over. And seemingly, this started when there were some unfounded accusations from the Chicago side of things uh, about Eric Thames being a guy who's doing something that he's not supposed to be doing. And look, I, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, does he... He's a big dude, and he's ripped, and he's hitting a lot of home runs, and he came out of nowhere to do it. Like, I get all that, but that doesn't automatically mean that a guy's on something. And I think of everybody in Major League Baseball, Thames is probably more likely not to be on something than anybody else because when he was in Korea he was being tested under the world anti-doping agency standards which is a much tougher and stricter test than the drug testing that major league baseball uses so if he wasn't if he wasn't failing test there he's not going to fail test here and I'll I'll say this over and over we've been through the steroid era of baseball you you continue to see guys test positive for for stuff here and there there's never gonna be someone who tests positive that shocks me. I'm just not gonna let that happen anymore. I've moved past that. You you can't be shocked by it anymore. But I'd be I have I have a fair amount of faith that Eric Thames is is doing this clean, and he just continues to get tested. He was tested on Friday night. That was the second time in less than a week, and it was the third test in ten days, plus the test that he got in spring training. You know this is supposedly random. This isn't random. This is Major League Baseball continuing to test the same guy over and over and over. There's been some media speculation that maybe the Players Association is going to get involved and say what is going on. Come on, this is this is borderline harassment. Thames has been great with it. He had the great quote last week about, you know, he has he has enough blood and urine to uh, to take tests as often as they want him to take tests, and you know that's he seems almost amused by it at times. But still, it's not completely fair just because. There's these weird accusations coming out of Chicago that uh, that he's going to continue to be tested over and over and over. It's got to be deep down. It's got to be somewhat frustrating for him. I would think it is. Like again, he's doing a really good job of of not uh, not showing it, but it just it does not seem right. All right. Uh, on Sunday, Ryan Braun got banged up, and we'll have to we're gonna have to wait on this and see how serious the injury might be. Uh, He indicates that it's not going to put him on the disabled list, but it's also going to uh, knock him out for a few days. Uh, The Brewers called it a right uh, trapezius tightness, and uh, the trapezius is a muscle in kind of the shoulder-neck type area. After the game on Sunday, uh, Braun said there were some other issues and other parts of his arm that are making it tough for him to throw. So I would not expect to see him for at least a couple days. To be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses the entire St. Louis series. And if you if you hold him out the first two or three games and then you get that day game on getaway day, why even play him at that point? Uh, you give him four days off. But always... You know, he has had such a, a, you know, such a good start to the season, and he's played basically every single day. He's appeared in 24 of the Brewers' first 26 games. I don't think anybody thought that he was going to play that much. You have to manage how much you do play him because he is – prone a bit more to injuries. And, you know, Last year he played in, what, 130, 135 games. That's probably a good number for him. I think he wanted to push that a little bit. I think he wanted to be closer to 145, 150, but you just got to be uh, smart with it. So uh, hopefully for Braun's sake he's able to uh, return sooner than later. And the other bit of good news, and uh, by the time you're listening to the podcast, this might be something that's already in the past, but uh, Junior Guerra is scheduled to take part in agility drills uh, on the field in St. Louis us on Monday. And uh, he's uh, trying to uh, trying to come back from the calf injury. So doing agility drills is a big thing. The team isn't real worried about his ability to uh, get back throwing again and be able to stretch that arm out. Uh, the agility drills are a big, big deal. So uh, that's good for Guerra. The next question is, if Guerra's back here in the next couple weeks, which it's starting to look like that's quite possible, what's going to be the move in the starting rotation? Uh, luckily for the Brewers' sake, they have a couple more weeks to. Uh, let that play out and guys get uh, two or three more starts each before they have to make a decision on that.
0: So those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable and it starts now.
1: Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile does continue on. We're very happy right now to uh, welcome in a, a very frequent guest here on the program. He is uh, the, he runs uh, the Brewer Nation, which is uh, you can check that out at thebrewernation.com, BrewerNation.com, Follow on Twitter at Brewer Nation. He is uh, Adam Rig, and before I officially welcome him in, I should just say uh, Adam's been amazing as we've gotten this uh, podcast started. Uh, when we first got it going, and I was trying to get connected to all the various podcasters and everything, it was Adam who made the connections. Uh, and it's just uh, I was joking with him at the at the ball game on Sunday. That that I should give him an executive producer title on this uh, on this podcast because he's been great and we're happy to uh, welcome back him back onto the program Adam great to have you how are you doing
2: I'm doing well I, I like executive producer uh, if I get my own chair on set that would be great and if I could get my own trailer with some uh, Fiji water
1: Fiji water okay that that we'll, we'll see what I can do do you have any uh I assume you need like MLB network in, in the rider as well
2: well, yeah, I mean, I have it on my phone thanks to the At Bat app. Uh, shameless plug, but yeah, no, that would be good. Um, maybe X streaming package, MLB TV, you know, uh, with a, a location scrambler so I can watch the Brewers games.
1: There you go it, it it all it all works out. All right, so let's talk a little bit about this team. We're uh, we're speaking on the night of Sunday, April thirtieth, so we're into the final hours. Of uh, April 2017, and with the win on Sunday against the Braves, the Brewers finished the month of April with a 500 record. Way before the season got started, if somebody would have would have offered that to you, would have you felt like that would be a very good place for the Brewers to be through one month of the season? I would
2: have. I think the the biggest thing about the Brewers being at 500 at this point is they've faced not completely stiff competition in and out. They have had seven games against the Reds and we all know how Eric Faines for example has, has done against that team uh, but they played the Colorado Rockies uh, opening series and looking back at the time everybody was saying how could we not beat the Rockies oh my goodness okay, they're in first place in the West as we talk right now so you know, it, that's a better team than we thought the Cubs uh, were going to be the Cubs the Cardinals always play us hard You know, they, they've played good teams here and teams that were hot at the time that they played them, the first two games against Atlanta, their offense wouldn't settle down this past weekend. So it's a combination of things. But, again, as Council said, Major Craig Council said it after the game today, you earn your record. And they are a 500 team. I think that they have areas to improve and specific things that they can absolutely get much better at. But the best part is, is that most of those things are coachable and fixable. So being 500 right now, 13 to 13, matching the combined win total from the past two Aprils in just this one April, it's that to be a positive for those guys in that clubhouse and something to build on. So I don't think any of us think that the Brewers are going to be playoff contenders this year. But starting a month at 500, not losing in a given month, like I'm being positive every single month last year was a losing month. Uh, it's it coming up from, from that kind of a position. So the birds are on the right direction. I know that we both have talked about that and think that, and maybe we're seeing signs of that as this team starts to gel. And, you know, the, the extra pieces that are added in this year, Shaw, Ames, you know, guys getting a little bit older and more mature, Chase Anderson, Domingo Santana, or, you know, and Garcia is still very young. You know, everything seems to be coming together, and these guys can play some pretty good baseball that they've demonstrated that
1: generally on the podcast we look back at the week that was uh, with the with the, this date falling on uh, the final day of the month of April and also uh, right after a series coming to an end, we're going to focus a little bit more on the entire season. So the the month that was, you've already mentioned Eric Thames and uh, through the first month of the season, I don't think anybody could have expected this. 345 11 home runs, 19 uh, RBIs. I saw a tweet recently for all I know, it, uh, it, it, it came from you because we see so much stuff but somebody made the point that he's already earned his entire contract based off what he's done in the first, you know, month of the season. How impressed have you been not just with what he's done on the field, but also the way he's handled all the media requests being the darling of baseball. All the all the, you know he's been drug tested now 3 times uh over the course of like the last 10 days. I mean just everything that he's done, the entire body of work. How impressed have you been?
2: I have maybe never been as impressed with what's been going on with Eric Thames and the way that he's handled it as anything that I've seen uh, in my years of covering baseball my years of watching baseball as a fan the and perhaps it's because I have a different perspective over the last couple of seasons a different way to look at things I, I said it in a tweet that I have nothing with the utmost respect for the way Sames has handled the bullcrap speculation that guys like Chris Bosio and John Lackey are credited with uh, from the league. You know, maybe the random number generator at the league office is stuck, but you know, <laughs> three random tests inside the first month is a little bit ridiculous. When some guys haven't been tested since spring training, probably still Anthony Rizzo, well, of Pujols made a point of that, and of course, then he was tested <laughs> within a couple of days uh, himself. But it's it, it's ridiculous, Matt. It, it really is to have this guy have to deal with all this attention to try to filter out all of the natural negativity that comes when anybody in the world does great things. There's that many more people that want to tear him down and put him in his place for some reason. Uh, but having to deal with all that and then still trying to make the transition back from three years in Korea with a new batting stance, a new approach, a much more refined set of tools at the plate, the plate discipline Pitch recognition, you know, the, the ability to handle a, the off-speed pitch, knowing what he can drive, what to lay off, et cetera. putting all that together on a guy, really since the beginning of spring a little bit, you know, with the transition back to Major League Baseball, but everything he's had to deal with in the month of April, to be where he's at, and yeah, he's cooled down over the last couple of games, he doesn't have a home run in a couple of days, and, you know, he's, I think he was one for four today, if I remember correctly, so the 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 average still 345 like you said uh best ops on the team it's been amazing flat out amazing and i don't get shocked and awed by too much in baseball these days um a, a game like Anthony don't have today for example not to, to date this podcast but the day he had that's kind of amazing but the month that eric has had has been truly truly shocking to me and, and that's saying something
1: Look, I think anybody who's been watching baseball for the last twenty years and went through the steroid era, I think it'd be it would not be smart for us to, you know, ever be shocked again by anybody failing a drug test. But that being said, this is a guy who was under the uh, the World Anti-Doping Agency standards when he was in Korea, which is much much tougher than what they have to pass in Major League Baseball. He's getting tested over and over. He's basically daring people to test him with his comments about, you know, I've got enough blood and urine to keep giving this to you. Uh, again, uh, nobody's going to shock me on, on, on the drug test stuff anymore. We've just come too far in baseball, but all all signs indicate that this guy is playing the game as clean as you can play it.
2: Right. You know, he takes legal supplements like anybody else in baseball. He said that the combination of things that he's taken, it um, he didn't go through the list by any means, but He said he's the same stuff for eight years, he told us, after a game. So, again, that spans that time in Korea, like you said. Much tougher uh, uh, anti-drug testing that they have over there. Uh, Adderall prescriptions, for example, in MLB that you can get a therapeutic use exemption for, that doesn't fly over in the KBL, the Korean Baseball Organization. So that type of stuff, guys like Chris Davis, um, Orioles Chris Davis, C. Chris Davis, that we know, uh, you know he had that suspension because he forgot to get his 32 use exemption one year we know the guys are on Adderall in baseball at a much higher rate than the general population and you cannot do that in KBO You know, there, there's a, a number of examples of things that guys do here um, the stigma attached to PEDs I'm over it and that's a conversation we're going to have on another podcast when we have more time maybe um, as to my general stance on that but for the most part you know you've got this the stigma attached to it. Fans think they're supposed to vilify anybody that gets in trouble for stuff, but it's a, why, because there's a certain set subset of drugs that fall into this category. When guys can get cortisone shots and they can get anti-inflammatories and they can get certain things that are, you know, make you capable of playing uh, and other things that are are supposedly bad and blacklisted, but specifically on things, right. He's been under much stricter testing for three years. Um, comes here, there's no changes. His body doesn't change. You know, the telltale signs that people want to point at that aren't actually telltale signs at all, nothing that how long those lines should be a red flag. But people see a massive home run output in a month, and, oh, my God, what's wrong? What, you know, what, what is this guy on? It becomes the whispers. need we remind people, the month is at its end. It's who also has 11 home runs? Ryan Zimmerman. Are there cries to test Ryan Zimmerman all of a sudden with this? amazing turnaround month of he's having. I haven't heard one peep. But why? Because they're is muscular. And, you know, he spent the last three years in Korea. All of a sudden, you know, that's the guy we focus on. You know, it's, like you said, at this point, you'd be naive not to just have baseball on the brain, you know, and think about what's happened over the last 20 years. But at the same time, the testing is where it's at. And personally, I'm not going on a mental witch hunt trying to tear people down I like to enjoy the game of baseball, and I will enjoy people believing that they're innocent until something else happens in any case. Thames, Zimmerman, otherwise, it doesn't matter. To me, let's just enjoy the sport of baseball and watch these guys excel at it.
1: Yeah, it was kind of funny. I don't know how many people in Milwaukee noticed this, but uh, a lot of the St. Louis media came to the defense of Eric Thames, and of course... Uh, You know, Cardinals dislike the Cubs as much as Brewers dislike the Cubs from a fan standpoint. So it it was, you know, the Brewers fans don't like the Cardinals whatsoever. But I did think it was, uh, it was interesting, and I think it had something to do with the fact that right around that time, the Cardinals and Brewers were about to play. But I found it interesting that a lot in the St. Louis media came to defend Eric Thames. So uh, to, you know, at least there were people out there defending him. Is I guess the point I want to make.
2: Yeah, absolutely. The analytical writing community is very much behind Eric Fames. They've given countless examples and reasons and evidence, uh, both in approach and you know general statistical analysis and uh, looking at the flight path of the baseball, the fact that he's laying off pitches out of his own that he can't do anything with, et cetera. You know, they're big behind him. You mentioned the St. Louis media. Buster Olney of ESPN, still of ESPN, unlike many of his colleagues, unfortunately. Um uh, Buster only reported today, uh, and he, he blocked me on Twitter a long time ago, uh, but I saw somebody else retweeted it, that the tubs brass, the front office, uh people in that organization were very upset with Baggio making those comments. So even, you know, even internally in the Cubs, not everybody's against Eric Thames. So you know it's it's good to see Facebook rallying behind a guy that deserves to be rallied behind. You know, at the MLB account on Twitter, social media. They've been uh, using Thames's as image and celebrating his home runs and his accomplishments. So hopefully it's just a, a subset. It was a, a pitcher who got beat, you know, a pitching coach who was maybe trying to back up his pitcher, and some fans that don't like, especially the Reds fans, that don't like how much damage Thames has done against them. So, you know, hopefully that's all it is. Hopefully people settle down as the numbers start to even back out a little bit and, and they just can just enjoy his return to MLB.
1: Sidebar, why are you blocked by Buster Olney?
2: <laughs> um, back in 2011, 2012 range, <coughs> excuse me, when he, when Ryan Braun went through all of his stuff with his suspension and whatnot, uh, Buster said something about Braun, and I want to say something about Zach Granke was the other tweet, uh, one good morning, and I tweeted, well, Buster only is two for two on dumb tweets today, and I've been blocked ever since. <laughs>
1: Interesting. He was actually he was actually at Miller Park. I,
2: I saw him uh, when he was here uh, preparing for the the following Cubs series. The Cubs were in town, and the ESPN had the Cubs games uh, the next night um, in Chicago. So he was, you know, in Milwaukee doing the stories and whatnot in preparation for that. I almost asked him about it, but then I realized I don't really care.
1: Fair enough. We're talking with uh, Adam Rigg from uh, the Brewer Nation. Uh, from a starting pitching standpoint, you know, just going down the list very quickly. Uh, Obviously, Junior Gare is banged up. Uh, He looks like he's getting closer and closer. That's a good thing. Uh, Zach Davies seems to be back on the right direction. His last start was his best start uh, against Cincinnati. Hopefully, he's able to follow that up. Chase Anderson's been pretty darn good. His one not-as-good outing when he gives up four runs. That all happened very quickly, and and he got back into it. Um, Matt Garza here recently has been good. In his first two starts, they've been fine. His uh, most recent start on Sunday was the best uh but Willie Peralta he has not been especially sharp his last two outings and uh Jimmy Nelson uh has has struggled especially in two of his last three outings uh from a first month perspective and this is a tough question to answer because it's so broad but from a first month perspective how would you evaluate the starting pitching for the Brewers
2: well, it is a little bit incomplete, like you said. Uh, Junior Guerra only made the opening day start, and that only pitched three innings before getting hurt, uh, trying to break out of the box on a, on a ball. So we'll have to see when he comes back, and, and hopefully he's supposed to pitch to uh, hitters, live BP sessions on the road trip that's coming up. So hopefully they get him back sooner than later. But overall, you know, I don't think it's what they'd like, obviously. Zach Davies, when he first came up last season, in 2015, had three very bad starts. Uh, I don't know if he was readjusting coming back from Colorado Springs or whatever the reason was. He had three very bad starts, and then he was pretty much stellar. Uh, Everything you want out of a developing player uh, after that, you know, for 23, 25, whatever the number starts last year. So, hopefully, you know, he got a few, couple of next starts out of his way this year and his last one he said was better so maybe he's uh, you know running back into form again we'll have to see um, Nelson has been a bit of a quandary he's trying not to hurt himself with walks this year you know and in his uh, 28 almost 29 innings, he does have 10 walks he had one bad start with walks uh, but for the most part he's kept that number down guys are putting the ball in playoff him more than they've had in the past and Unfortunately, right now, uh, you know, batting average against him is over 300. You know, for the opponents as a whole, I think it's a 301. So, as he said against his last start, as balls they're put into the play, more often than not, they're going to be converted into outs. That's how batting averages work, and that's why guys don't hit over 500 because more often than not, there's going to be some outs, uh, as everybody knows. But we'd like to see, obviously, more out of Nelson, uh, better results, and hopefully, some of that comes with continued execution and hopefully not getting beat as much but Chief Anderson like you said has been dynamite uh, it's a guy who probably wasn't going to be in the rotation just after years that guy that was healthy Anderson's been uh, a revelation everything they've been asked for and more I think so that's been good for Peralta like I said, said he's 4-1 you know he's 5-star so he gets decisions and I know wins and losses individual pitchers don't mean as much anymore as people thought they once did but he does have 4 wins which means he's keeping his team in the game even if they have to score a lot of runs to support him but uh, he's also given up six homers you know and that's matching Tommy Malone uh, for home run output and that's got to come down. Uh, There's a lot of different things that each of these guys can clean up. They can get better. Some of these guys though you know Peralta and Nelson they're not spring chickens anymore. They've had a lot of big league innings and at some point you have to consider the fact that they may be what they are you know and and they're not going to be the front of the the rotation guys to lead this team into the next contending window. But maybe a guy like Josh Hader is. You know, maybe uh, a guy like Jorge Lopez can be, middle of the rotation, front half of the rotation. So as far as that transitions out at the end of this season or maybe even earlier, depending on how things go, um, you know, the Brewers have a lot of decisions to make and a lot of things to figure out when it comes to their rotation. Most of these guys uh, are pre-David Stern's era. And he's evaluating every day. He's evaluating. And he's going to make some decisions. And eventually we're going to see how things work themselves out. But like you said, for the month, yeah, it's been complete as it is. Um, I think overall the run prevention of the Brewers has been disappointing, both from a starting pitching aspect and from a defensive stealing aspect as well.
1: I, I haven't seen many people talking about this. And, and again, it's, it's not going off uh... – a trend yet, and it's something I'm going to be really keeping an eye out on here uh, as the Brewers do embark on a road trip, but when the season got started, Neftali Feliz was pitching uh, really 97-99, topping out at 101. In Sunday's appearance, he was topping out uh, at 96, sitting more uh, 94-95. that's you know The difference between 96 and 101 as far as your top-out speed, that is a huge difference for a pitcher. Again, maybe I'm making too much of it. Maybe he's going to be back in the high 90s the next time he pitches. But do you think there's something to uh, seeing just in the course of uh, from the start of the month to the end of the month, seeing his velocity drop a bit? Uh, not
2: necessarily. Um, I, I think it's something to watch for sure. You obviously don't want to go much lower but getting back up into the mid to upper 90s is what started to make Feliz effective again uh, with Pittsburgh last year. So when he refound his velocity that he had in Texas, you know, pre-injuries, and he's had a number of injuries, but him getting back up to the velocity, that's when he's at his best. He's, he's a pitcher who likes to allow the high fastball, the elevated fastball, and if that pitch is coming in at 100, good luck. And that pitch is coming in at 95, 96, and a, pitcher, or a hitter, I should say, might be able to time it, square it up and, and as you see, drive it pretty good. You know, he's, he's given up a few home runs, um, but those have been to good pitchers. He's got three, I think, on the season. Uh, one to Nolan Mil- Mil- Arenado in the first series to lose the game. Uh, one to Freddie Freeman, right, uh, in the series. wasn't wasn't that one of them. Um, so he's given up some home runs to some good hitters and he's getting knocked around, obviously, a lot more than we'd like, but even still, it's situational for the Lee's. You look at a guy who's, who's got a 200 under 200 betting average against but in the area of almost six and three losses. So you know, when he's bad he's he's bad in, in key situations. So that's the life of a closer I guess. But speaking specifically to velocity again absolutely it's something to keep an eye on. If he dips much lower he's going to be more hitable and then he, there may come a point where he would be unplayable um, at least in the closer's role. Fortunately when he's had a save to protect, he's done a lot better job than when he hasn't. You know, he's six out of seven in that department. Um, but he's got that classic closer feel where maybe he needs that adrenaline rush to be able to get the velocity up and to be able to to do that. You need to be in closing games instead of trying to hold ties or if you haven't pitched in a few days, you know, pitch down a, a run or two.
1: Jacob Barnes and Corey Knebel have both been, to me, really, really good out of the bullpen and I'm not trying to go too negative on this but unfortunately uh, you've the the rest of the bullpen has been hit or miss. I mean, there's some guys with good numbers. Oliver Drake has been pretty good since getting here with a 2.25 ERA. Same thing with Jared Hughes. But we've we've seen some. I think we've seen more inconsistencies from everybody in the bullpen except for Barnes and Knable, who for the most part have been pretty good all season long. This bullpen has completely changed over from last year when you consider that uh, the back end last year had. Jeffress, Smith, and Thornburg, and none of those guys are around anymore. Carlos Torres was so good last year. Now he's pitching in even higher leverage situations this year, and he's got an ERA at 4.20 through 13 games. Uh, Last year, as the season went along, the bullpen got better and better. So I guess I say all that to say this. Do you think that the bullpen is going to – Slowly get better from top to bottom the way it did last year, or are you concerned that some of these guys are being a bit inconsistent to start the season?
2: Uh, I think there's some inconsistencies. Uh, There's some concern there. Carlos Torres pitched a lot last year. Uh, He's got a bit of a rubber arm, so I'm not saying he was overused, but he did very well last year and there was a reason that a team like the Atlanta Braves uh cut him, you know, just before the season opened last year. And the Brewers picked him up and did very well he did very well with them. But there's a like I said, there's a reason that a guy like that gets cut loose. Um there's a reason that a guy like Mourinho was D F. A'd by the Rays before the Brewers had a chance to pick him up. Again, he came in and did a great job last year. Maybe the the league knew being in the National League helped him out. He just hadn't seen him before uh, and so, you know, he, he comes in and, and does the job more often than not. But, again, a, a reliever in any any situation, you know, you give, you have one bad out and your reality looks terrible for, you know, two, three months while you're working that back down. So those types of numbers, you really do have to take with a grain of salt when you're talking about bullpen. Um, all that said, yeah, Kniebel and Barnes have been great. Even they were shaky, I think. Barnes had his one bad out and finally uh, this home stand. Naval had uh, the one rough game in Chicago against the Cubs. So nothing, no, no release pitcher is going to be perfect is my point. So certain guys you just have to kind of roll with them and see what they have to offer you. Um, but you look at some of the guys that they have in the minor leagues, you know, Tyler Gravy, Rob Scahill, not to bring up so a couple of guys that just missed the cut last year, but they've been pitching pretty good down there in the minor leagues. And this team has options. You know, it's got people that can come up and fill in and help out. But right now, the core group of guys that they have, they need better production out of the middle release guys. The back end of both of them doing pretty well. Again, at least you get him into a safe situation. He's been reliable in that in that spot. But, yeah, Torres on down to Malone. And, you know, and that was the ranking that hierarchy. Torres is probably your fourth best guy in the bullpen right now, loves your long man. That group of guys has to be better. Hughes, Drake, needs to, you know, remain consistent. Marens needs to get better. If those bullpen can factor in more, be better about keeping runs off the scoreboard. Those tight games that the starting pitching, is are keeping in the ballgame, games of those can be converted into wins.
1: I'll preface this question by, we can all admit, and we all know, that Louis Brinson is not going to put on a Brewer's uniform a moment before the Super 2 cutoff date. So just knowing that there's still some time there, how much leash do you give to a Keon Broxton and a Domingo Santana? A couple outfielders who neither of them are hitting, even with Santana's uh, two home runs on Sunday, neither of those guys have gotten back above the Mendoza line. They're both below 200? Well, Yeah, you
2: absolutely give them them the leash. Uh, They're both young players. I mean I forget up top over there. I think Santana's twenty five and what's well, Broxton has got to be around the same the same age. I'm sure I can look it up while I'm talking. But uh, you have young, talented players. You saw what Cam Broxton could do last year once he adjusted his stance and really, you know, got into his better form. You know, earlier in the year he was all out uh, of sorts, you know, we do not have to rehash the whole thing. But once he got going, he was very dynamic for them at the end of the last season. D'Angelo Santana is a guy that was one of the lead pieces in return in the Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires deal in that Houston trade. You know, he's a, a talented player who had nothing left to prove at Triple A, even being so young, and he's still learning on the job, refining himself at the big league level. So, yeah, those guys, they's, they's, there's no question, they started out the season slow. You know, Santana, like you said, is hitting under 200 now as well. Um, but as those guys, you know, come back up to the back of the baseball card averages and you have guys like James maybe Shaw, uh, slow back down a little bit, you know, meet in the middle, then you won't have such few guys carrying the offensive load, but hopefully you'll have a more well-rounded, more well-balanced lineup uh, and you can do better things with that. But, you know, you absolutely give guys like Santana and Broxton you know, young, dynamic players with a ton of talent, you give them all the time in the world to show you, to demonstrate at the big league level what you have in them. Because eventually Lewis Princeton's going to be here. And chances are good that Brett Phillips and Ryan Cordell are going to join them. And Corey Ray's coming in a couple of years. And Trent Clark has a chance to be a big league outfielder. And there's guys, Michael Reed has done time in the big league, Kyle Red has done the job at A. You have these guys that are all over the system. The whole point of Stearns is rebuild, right? It's consistent waves of talent, constantly replenishing the big league system, be that if they come up from the minors or they use them in trade or whatever. You have all these guys that are particularly deep in the outfield. But for now, give Broxton that leash. You give Santana that leash. Broxton, by the way, is 26 and Santana is 24. But you give them that leash to show you what they have. Because when the time does come for Lewis Princeton to come up, maybe you know that Keanu Broxton is going to be your fourth outfielder for the next five years. You know, one a fourth outfielder to have, right? So you have to let these guys, show you what they can do, show you how to make adjustments. Hopefully, Domingo Santana, this is the start of a nice run of offers for him. His last four hits, I think, of all their home runs, including 10-stick home runs and, like you said, a two-home run game on Sunday. So hopefully that's a ton of good things to come and these guys can start running back into form.
1: All right, let me finish you off with this. The team is one month into the season. They're 500. Uh, what As they go into May, What are the? what's the one or two things that you feel like this team can do a little better that you're really going to want to see them do better to maybe even take another step forward here in this next month?
2: I think the biggest thing that they can fix the quickest is – I don't want to call it a lack of focus on defense because these guys are focused on what they're doing. Um, so that's not the right phrasing, but it, it's, it's their play on defense is what needs to get better. And they need to convert all of the easy outs. And then and they're good at making spectacular plays. You know, their infield, especially at the middle, is super rangy. Uh, RCA can get to almost anything. VR can get to almost anything. And these guys, they're good about getting the ball in their gloves. Bianchi had some problems early in the season, especially with transferring the ball after he fields it and being able to throw it. Arcea had one hit at his feet the other day, and granted, it was sung a little bit, but he missed it. You know, hit it off the side of his glove. Luckily, it didn't circle too far away from his feet, but he couldn't convert the out. You, you have to be able to convert in for me to say, right? Being a <laughs> sideline guy, uh, you know, watching uh, not on the field. Uh, but these are major league players. And certain plays you have to be expected to make when you're playing Major League Baseball. That's why I don't play Major League Baseball, but you've got to do. So they have to be able to do that. And I think, you know, that aspect of the, the run prevention, and Council calls pitching and defense run prevention together. So that aspect of run prevention, I think, is the most easily fixable because, you know, you just convert those easy outs. And that can have the biggest impact, immediate impact, on the way that these games play. Stars' first start, for example, a lot of extra outs in the field. This game, there are a couple of times where you know the defense could have maybe made a couple of extra plays and maybe go even farther into the, the game uh, today on Sunday. But there's, there's been Jimmy Nelson got burnt uh, with some some bad defense behind him and a couple of his stars. So you know it's something that has to be cleaned out. That it's like I said, the easiest thing to do and can have the biggest impact if you can just get that done.
1: Alright Adam, great uh, great stuff. We're at a mile marker point of the year at the one month uh, point so definitely wanted to get you in here and uh, get your take on on what's happened uh, so far. One more thing before we let you go uh, just last question for you because I know you keep an eye on, on the minor leagues as well. Is, is there any story, any couple stories, any individuals uh, that have especially caught your eye in the first three weeks of the minor league season?
2: Uh I could probably go for a little while on that question, but I'll, I'll start with the shorts. I know, I'm sure uh, that Brad has uh, a lot of that covered, but I'll say that's Jake Gatewood and Monte Harrison and, and Troy Stokes, those guys from that draft class, uh, especially Harrison and Gatewood being the early picks, they were very highly touted, but also came with a high-risk, high-reward kind of caveat. And for the most part, unfortunately, so far, they've been high risk. They, Monte Harrison's been hurt a lot, You're much of it out of his own control, sliding into third base, blowing up his ankle, et cetera. And Dick Gatewood has had a ton of swimmingness in his game to this point and hasn't really been able to, to put it together like like you would hope that that high of a draft pick would do. But if you look at their numbers, and again, without getting too uh, finite into kind of, uh, those kind of details right now, they've been. All three of those guys have been very good so far this season. Uh, I mentioned Troy Stokes. He's, he's one of my favorite guys. in an outfielder as well, playing for Class A, uh, High A, Carolina. That's where Gatewood is at as well. Martin Harrison is uh, with Lowe, uh, Wisconsin Timber routers right now. But Stokes, for example, sitting 307 with an uh, on-base of almost 400. Yeah, Gatewood is 329. On base at 329. On-base of 440, 7 five fifty three has 15 walks on the season. He didn't have his 50th walk last year, I think, until August. So he's the type of guy who's really doing much better with what he has to do to, you know, develop. And hopefully when they make it to the major league level. These guys all have uh, a ton of talent. And it's, for the most part, in the minor leagues, you have to have a combination of health, luck, and development to get anywhere. And these guys have been a little bit unlucky, but hopefully... uh, Hopefully they're on the right track. And I think that you know, we'll see some good things from those guys. We'll see some promotions out uh, of all three of those guys coming up later this year. And, uh, you know, the steps in the right direction towards Milwaukee.
1: He is Adam Rigg. He runs uh, the Brewer Nation at thebrewernation.com. Follow him on Twitter at uh, Brewer Nation. Also a contributor at uh, FanRag Sports. He's, he's a busy, busy guy. Adam, great stuff as always. Uh, we'll catch up again real soon. All right, Matt. We'll talk to you
0: The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm.
1: Brewers extra innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ mobile. We do continue on. My name is Matt Pawley. It is time to uh, go down on the farm, and a lot of times in this segment, uh, you hear me talking with the various uh, team broadcasters from throughout the Brewers minor league system. But uh, every once in a while, I want to take a break from that so we get a chance to kind of take a step back and really look at the entire system and not just focus on one team. And we're going to do that today. We'll also talk a little bit more about the big league club as well, as uh, we do welcome in uh, Brad Ford from Disciples of Euchre and uh, Brew Crew Ball. Brad, appreciate you taking a few moments. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Matt. How about you? Doing all right. Now we uh, we record this on Sunday night, and about ten minutes ago, people can follow you on Twitter. By the way, at Brew Crew Blue. Uh, ten minutes ago, you tweeted out: "Lesson learned: If you don't tighten your pipes uh, properly, they'll turn into a super soaker and attack you." Before we get into anything baseball related, I need to hear this story.
3: All right. So I'm a brand new house owner. And I'm trying to cut off a water line that runs up to my dishwasher because we converted it under the sink. That's a little bit of a less fun story. So I'm downstairs trying to put the cap on to end off that, or to cut off that line. And uh, I read the directions. It says give it a quarter turn. I get it finger tight, give it a quarter turn, turn back on the water, and get a fistful or, like, way more, probably half a gallon of water just everywhere uh, on me and I'm even more on the floor. Um, and then when I <laughs> give it a few more turns and actually tighten it, everything is good to go. But it's just uh, one of the great lessons you have to learn about home ownership of uh, the instructions are great, but sometimes you got to just trust common sense more than the instructions.
1: Well, we've now touched on, uh, you know, there's Home Repair podcast out there. I guess we can be one of those, too, in addition to talking uh, talking baseball. But uh, in all seriousness, last time we had you on, uh, we focused on the big league club. And we'll get to a little bit of that at the end. But uh, something you do, I think people who follow you on Twitter see it. I mean, you're you're updating folks on a, on a moment-by-moment basis, it seems like, many days, on, on what's going on in the Brewers minor league system. First off, how are you following so many games at any given moment?
0: Uh, it's a lot
3: of screens and a lot of game day. So the nice thing is I have MILD.TV, which is the minor league version of TV. So generally what I'll do is I'll have the big league game on the TV screen. Then I'll have a couple cabs open with the current minor league games and then, uh, the A-ball and A-plus ball um, leagues, the Carolina Mudcats and the Wisconsin Timberattlers, don't always have the video on, and then I'll do game day for those. And I'll just follow along and kind of keep track of what's going on, just because it's a really exciting time to be following the farm. And I've been doing this for a few years now. Um, it's great because last year they didn't have access to the Brevard County team, so now I get to follow along with a lot of the great pitchers and uh, you know field players who started at Tim Rattlers last year and now moved up. So I get to follow them along. And also see some guys that really didn't get a lot of time, like Cody Ponce and Cody Medeiros, who were at the Manatees before they the Brewers now switched over to the Carolina Mudcats. Um, so I generally just have a lot of screens going on. I'll prioritize the pitching prospect. So if I can only watch two at a time and Corbin Burns is pitching and you have a lesser-known prospect who's off most top 30s, even off like top 40s, I'll prioritize the number 20 prospect according to MLB Pipeline and uh, kind of watch and see how they're doing. And then I'll just watch the games throughout the day, switch between game to game, depending on uh, what's happening. So if I see uh, games getting tight, like uh, the T-Rats have had a lot of high-scoring games, gotten, um, you know, you'll have a 10-10 game going into the seventh, and you go switch over and prioritize that and uh, watch their offense, which has been really fun. Uh, side that's, that's
1: how I do it total sidebar this has nothing to do with what you just said a- unless something changed this year and I missed it it's really frustrating that milB TV you can't watch it on like a Roku device the same way you can watch MLB TV
3: right no I know that's why the uh, big league game gets the TV otherwise it'd be all minor league games throughout the house Um because they really don't have an app or anything that supports it, so you have to watch it on the computer screen or your phone.
1: Yeah, it's when you buy MLB TV, they give you the option to do the add-on of MILB, and you would think if they're you know if they're that connected, then just put it you know make it part of the pack. But anyways, that's that's neither here nor there. Um, so you're three weeks or so into the minor league season, and we'll get into a whole bunch of things. But what's the who's the guy? that has most interest to you that you know, you just talked about focusing in on, on certain prospects who's the guy that whether it's a pitcher or a hitter that when they're pitching or if you know they're going to be coming up to the plate this is the guy that you prioritize the most that you have to see
3: right now uh because he's doing things he's never done in the system before it has to be Jake Gaitwood. um he is having a career season doing things that he's never done um Specifically walking, he's already almost his career high in walk is a thirty two walks in a season and he's already um halfway there at fifteen. And any other season his highest amount of walks was eighteen. So he's three away from tying his second career high in walk. After a full season at Wisconsin, that's what he did last year. He didn't even have his first walk till middle through May. So this year Gatewood right now at this moment on Sunday is flashing 3.29 for an average 4.33 OBP and a 5.73 flash. He's hitting the ball. He's driving it really well in a park where it's harder to drive the ball. Carolina League. Um, it's really hard to get the ball out of there, and they also have a really high wall out in their outfield to kind of help keep it in even more. Uh, so he hit his fourth home run today. He has eight doubles. Um, he's just his approach has completely changed. Before, he was striking out, uh, and he's still striking out a lot. He's 28 strikeouts in 23 games. Uh, last year, though, he struck out 141 times and had 18 walks. Now he has 28 strikeouts and 15 walks. So now he's walking. That's negating a lot of hit, the problems in his game. And he's never been a 300-hitter in the system before. And this is what the Brewers wanted to see when they drafted him in the supplemental round a few years ago um, to really get that Play, to maximize the power. Because he knew the power was there, but he was swinging at so many bad pitches that he really hasn't been able to do a lot with it. Besides, for people lucky, he hit a lot of doubles and then hit 14 home runs last season in Wisconsin. So he's been really, really interesting. Um, then it's uh, sticking in Carolina. Corbin Burns has been fantastic for the Mudcats. So those two are the ones who have really been. Uh, following along with Corbin had, up until his last game he had a sub one ERA then he pitches yesterday gives up three runs the most runs he's given up all season he has a tremendous strikeout to inning pitch rate at about 9 K's for one inning uh, or for nine innings and then he's only walked nine this year uh, he has a 165 ERA after that game last year or last night but we're heading into him with a .82 ERA, so he's just been really fun to watch. He's a 2016 draftee. They drafted him in brown, her fourth round last year, and you uh, got a little taste of it in Wisconsin, but he's been just something to watch this year.
1: Let's go back to Gatewood for a second, because last year he played 93 games at uh, at third base, and this year... I think he's exclusively a first baseman. I don't think he's played any games at third through the course of the year. How important was it for his offense to really take that next step forward, considering the fact that he wasn't going to be at a, at a, at a high-level defensive position to you know kind of help uh, offset maybe any offensive deficiencies?
3: Well, really important because you expect your first baseman who doesn't really provide much in the field. I mean, of course, first base defense is really important. Uh, we've <laughs> over since Prince Fielder has left, we've seen plenty of bad defensive first basemen up in the Major League Club and then seen how that can cost the team. Um, but, I mean, it's great that he's able to go over there and has the action of the baseman, but most importantly, you want the first baseman to hit. So, as third base, as long as you have the defensive skills and you're hitting decently, you can get away with it because you're providing something extra. But like I said, at first base, you don't really get that opportunity to add as much to the team defensively, so very important. But it's great to see how much value he can actually turn around if he continues this profile. It it just makes him a whole different value as a prospect before he was going to lose a lot of just value in the system. Because um, as nice as a prospect is who can play well defensively if you can't hit, over 250 and at least provide some power you're not really doing much to help the team in that position and teams really look for a high offensive output at first base. Speaking
1: of just the Carolina Mudcats, in a very general sense, this is the first year that the affiliation is there, and I know there's been uh, rumblings about uh, Mark Atanasio trying to buy the club and uh, take it under the Brewers umbrella. Do you have you like the affiliation and the relationship? Does do, do you think it's a it's a better situation now with the team in Carolina?
3: Uh, I do. Uh, mostly, I'm happy because before it was going to go out west to a uh, California team where the offense was going to be dismal. Um, so I'm happy that it was able to stay on the East Coast where uh, our pitchers are better developed. I think it's a great park to develop both hitting and pitching. It's more pitcher-friendly, and that's something that can really help with confidence at the lower levels, uh, where the pitchers are getting a little bit of help just from the environment in the park um, and helping some of those mistakes go away, but they still have the opportunity to learn because they're facing better hitters and they can focus less on what the park's doing against them, kind of like what we're experiencing now with the A Club in Colorado Springs with the Sky Sox. Um, I think it's a really good relationship, to, like start to a relationship. Uh, I have actually gained a lot of followers on Twitter, and you can see they actually have a really passionate fan base, um, and they're really clinging to being a partner of the Brewers. So it's nice that you have that community support and also a park that's going to be beneficial in the development of your minor leaguers
1: yeah I could say that when we have uh when we have their broadcaster Greg Young on the program, I see a bump in the numbers in terms of people who listen to the podcast it's a it's amazing how how really passionate that fan base is for for that level of a club,
3: yeah, and you don't really see that um i mean occasionally you see that in the minor league uh but really it's depending on their success and <laughs> to see that type of passion for a club, especially as you're changing over teams and not really familiar with the players that you're getting, and to see them just love their Carolina team, uh, it's it's a nice thing to have. And then, I mean, you also get a whole new group of Brewer fans because they're going to be watching those prospects come up. But they really are passionate, and it's something you don't necessarily see uh, throughout the minor leagues, but you do kind of see in on the East Coast and that Southern portion, since they don't necessarily have A ton of Major League Baseball opportunities over there.
1: It's like a quarter of the country is Atlanta Braves fans.
3: (laughs) Right, exactly.
1: Uh, let's uh, let's go to AAA for a second because there's so much talk about Lewis Brinson, and, and he's he's playing great, and he's going to be at the big league level at some point over the course of the season. I still cling to the fact that they got to pass the Super Two date first, and then you can start talking about it. But he's hitting three he He's got three home runs. I mean, he's doing everything you want him to do. At what point do you think that this guy does get the call up?
3: Well, I think you have to wait. I I mean, you already mentioned it, the Super 2 cutoff point is really important because the Brewers aren't the type of team who can lose control. Um, So I know it's a real struggle with Keon not doing well at the major league level, and people really want to see this, you know, the number one prospect in the system who's tearing the cover off the ball get to Milwaukee already. Uh, but despite all that, he could still use a little bit of seasoning. He hasn't really been in AAA too long uh, in his career. Um, had about half a season, or a quarter of a season two years ago, on half the season after the trade last year. Did well in both, more or less, and now has done great this year. Still could use a little bit of time down there, especially because he's not walking uh, really at all. Uh, so it's nice. You know, you want to give him that time to develop a little bit, possibly get a little bit more patient at the plate. He doesn't necessarily need it because he's, like we talked about, hitting the cover off the ball. But he only has three walks, granted uh, only through 14 games. So you would like to see him develop a little bit more patience there and just give him that time to get past Super 2 status. And then also that gives you more time to see if Keon can rebound in center field for the big league club like he did last year after initially struggling.
1: I spent six years in Colorado Springs, and my last year there was the first year with the Brewers, and it was two very different worlds because my first five years the Rockies were there, and a lot of things made sense about it, and my last year there was the Brewers' first year, and a lot of things did not make sense. So I I say all that to say this. Uh, Josh Hader, through his first four starts, has a 3.15 ERA. He struggles his last time out giving up five runs in four and two-thirds innings. That wasn't even in Colorado Springs. Uh, That was on the road at Iowa, which is a pretty good pitcher's park. But I kind of have this belief, especially when it comes to pitchers at Colorado Springs, that it's a fantastic place for a pitcher to get that final level of development, assuming that that doesn't take an incredible amount of time. Like There's a a finite amount of time I think you want to leave a pitcher at Colorado Springs. Hater finished the year there last year he starts the year this year do you think the Brewers need to be cognizant of that and, and how long he actually pitches there in the in that environment
3: I I do and I think they are you can tell um, that they feel that way after Jorge Lopez and Taylor youngman went there and struggled last year they now have started Lopez right away in double-A and after uh, youngman wasn't Necessary to use as a reliever anymore, and they will distract him out, send him straight to double A. So I think they understand that if they leave a pitcher at the triple A level too long and they struggle, it's much more beneficial in their development to send them down to Biloxi and uh, something where the pitcher has a little bit more control of their environment. You being in Colorado Springs for as long as you can, know that it's not just the elevation making the ball easier to hit that's a problem but sometimes the spin rate on the ball, they can't control their breaking pitches as much as they would like to. Hater in particular is a guy who relies on movement on all his pitches, and if he doesn't know where it's going game to game, he can't control it, and that's part of the reason for his walks. And then he, when you have a pitch that breaks extremely hard, like a slider, and really steep across the plate, and you're throwing it and it's not breaking as hard at your home park, then you go to Memphis and throw it, and it's breaking a lot harder. Again, it gets harder to control. You end up walking more. Uh, you're trying to put it more on the plate. so You're putting it dead center, and it's getting hit hard. Uh, those are some philosophical reasons for struggles. I mean, it could, I'm sure there's a lot more to it than that, but I think the Brewers are handling their pitching staff well. Um, as in When they see someone just can't handle that environment, they move them and keep them at Biloxi. Which we've seen pitchers succeed before, not necessarily with Brewers, but in majors where they come up from Double A, because there's not too much of a gap in talent from Double A AA to Triple A. Uh, you do well, a lot of the benefit, in my opinion, comes less from the big name prospects you're facing and more of those hitters that have bounced between the minors and the majors all their career, those Quad A players um, who can really work counts and play at a played the game between the pitcher and the hitter in a way that you, they're not going to see until they get to the big
1: we are continuing to talk with uh, Brad Ford. You can uh, read him, both at Brew Crew Ball and uh, Disciples of Euchre. Follow him on Twitter, at BrewCrewBlue. Uh, so the Sky Sox have gone off to a 13-6 record, best start in the history of, uh, of that franchise going back for quite some time. They've been affiliates of the Indians, Rockies, and now the Brewers. I had Dan Karcher, their broadcaster, on last week, and I asked him about the outfield group, obviously with Brinson, but then Cordell, Phillips, Wren. Newenheis wasn't there at the time, but he's there now. Uh, but I, I asked about those four guys in particular, and, and he, you know, I, I put him on the spot, and it wasn't completely fair to me. But he basically said that he thinks that's probably the best outfield group uh, in the history of the Sky Sox organization. What is what does that say to you when you hear that?
3: Uh, it doesn't really surprise me, but it's also awesome to hear. Um, I mean, it really is a special group. Um, I think all have. Uh, huge major league potential. Um, I think, and, I mean, to hear someone who's watched the Sky Sox uh, year in, year out, um, you know, validate that is something that's really awesome to hear that, um, and I've seen other, you know, minor league reporters uh, really talk it up too about that group and the special things they're doing out there. So, I mean, it's really exciting to see and it's I mean, they're just a step away. So if we continue to have struggles with Domingo Santana and um, Ian Braxton and need that fourth outfielder, you know those guys are ready and hitting the ball really well right now in Colorado Springs.
1: All right, let's jump down to Double uh, A and and the pitching right now. The the two guys to you know be a lot of people are watching are Jorge Lopez and Luis Orte, uh, Ortiz. Lopez two and one, one point seven three ERA. Ortiz zero uh, and three, three point seven two ERA. Whether it's specifically about those guys or just the team overall, what's jumped out at you about this Double uh, A Biloxi team? Uh, really,
3: the pitching. Um, I mean. Ortiz and Lopez have always been fun to watch. Uh, Lopez is uh, another one of those names that where you're really going out of your way to watch him now. He just, uh, on Friday, had a 10-strikeout game where he went six innings, only allowed two hits and walked one. Uh, I think, and I've seen a couple other of my co-bloggers uh, point out that Jorge Lopez should probably be the first one called up over Josh Hader if the time comes where the Brewers need to call up a starter. He has shown that he really doesn't have much to prove at Colorado, or at Biloxi anymore, and as we just talked about, he hasn't really succeeded pitching in Colorado Springs. But every five or so days when he comes around, he's a start you go out of your way to watch because he's back to form that he was two years ago after a really rough year last year. Um, Ortiz has been hit and miss. I suppose i out of my way to watch him because he's the fourth overall prospect, in the system, uh, but really came out of the gate poorly. And then was having a good game on the 25th, but then got pulled out due to uh, cramp and wasn't able to finish that. Then the other one who I really go out of my way to watch uh, is Taylor Williams, who's working his way back after about a two-year layoff. Uh, wasn't pitching uh, due to Tommy John surgery, and now is finally back. And they're giving him very little stint time and time again. And he got another one today, but he's been great. Uh, only a 93.93 ERA and, um, striking out more than a batter for nine innings. So he's been really fun to watch. And he is one of the most exciting arms in the system, in my opinion. It's just a matter of how he continues developing after Tommy Gunn surgery. It's great to see him coming back well. He actually pitched today, pitched, uh, pitched a couple innings. And did uh, pretty well for Bloxie again. But they're just really trying to keep him around thirty to forty pitches per game, so he's really not getting that long out there to get these stints down. And I'm guessing he'll give them more and more as the year moves on.
1: On their stat sheet, they have seven guys in the in the pitching uh, seven pitchers with ERA's at two or below. Now some of those guys I don't think are active. Uh, right now, because they haven't pitched in a while, but w- you know the, these are not all these top prospect kind of guys. What does it say that really from uh, there's so many guys who are having unbelievable success pitching for Biloxi?
3: Um, I mean, it's just really nice to see. But it's, I I think it's they just have um, a great group of coaches down there that really help people or that really help the pitchers develop at this next level. Um, I always consider double A as the next big in development, because A and A-plus are only so different between each other, um, but when these pitchers come up, they really seem to be ready, and they do exceptionally well, so it's really exciting to see that development, especially when pitching development has been one of the things that's been mocked time and time again in the Brewers organization. So clearly they're doing something right at Biloxi. It's not necessarily a pitcher's park. It's not hitter-friendly. It's somewhere it's kind of neutral, in my opinion, um, and from what most of that sheets show. But, uh, I mean, it just says something about what the staff's doing down there that they can keep them all pitching at such a high level.
1: The Brewers love having players who can play multiple positions. I think there's there might not be an organization out there that wants to have uh, – you know, position players that can play all over the way the Brewers do. Mauricio DeBon had started every game up until uh, April 25th at shortstop, and now all of a sudden he's been at second base each of his last four games. Is that just a case of them trying to get him some some reps over at second, or is there something more to that? Do you think?
3: No, it's. I mean, he played multiple positions through for when he came over from the Red Sox, um, and I think that's part of what attracted turns to him when they traded him with and for him in the foreign bird trade. So I think it's just them giving him extensive and then also trying to make sure that the other uh, players get opportunities to play at positions that is, keep them diverse and really challenge them. So he's played a little bit of everywhere um, on the infield, at least third base, shortstop, and second throughout his minor league career, and I think it's just the Brewers trying to maximize that and really take advantage of his diversity. Like you said, I mean, that's what Langston loves. He loves a player who can play all over, and I wouldn't be surprised if he gets some outfield threats at some point this year.
1: We we've already spent some time talking about the Carolina Mudcats, so we'll go real quick here. They're sitting at ten and thirteen through Sunday's game. To me, and with with all due respect to the pitchers, whether whether it's Corbin Burns, Marcos Diplo, whoever it might be, uh, the the two guys that I probably keep my eye on the most, really the three guys: uh, Lucas Arcega, San Diaz, and Corey Ray. Ray got a little bit of a, a slower start because he had to stay down at extended for just a bit. But when you look at those three position players, uh, Diaz is at two seventy three. Air six had a bit of a slow start, hitting 220. Corey Ray 232, but he's being obviously pushed through the system uh, very, very quickly after uh, what they did with him last year. Immediately placing him at, at high A. What jumps out at you about those guys that I just mentioned?
3: Um, well, of course, there are three of the people who, as someone who constantly reports on what the prospects are doing, um, it's obvious that Brewers fans are most excited about those three, and particularly Erstig. Yet. Um Ercig was actually doing a lot better until he came out with a bit of the flu, uh, missed some playing time, and now has gone on a four or five game hitless streak. Um, and that really brought his average down. I mean, it's so early in the season that when you do have instances like that, it really affects your overall line yeah so and not,
1: was, not to cut you off but just to to supplement your point he in those uh four games that he's gone hitless he's dropped from 273 to 220 so it's a, it's a great point by you
3: yeah so i mean it's just so easy for the stats to change and that's a perfect example uh, but before that he's been really driving the ball well um you'd like to see some more power out of him considering how much he hit at rookie level in uh, Wisconsin last year. Uh, he only has one home run the season, but he's still driving the ball well. Um, and Honestly, there's been a couple times where he should have doubles, and he out, you know, the outfielder makes a spectacular play, and it cuts it off a lot sooner, has a powerful arm, and keeps him whole, her held. So, he's going to be one that I'm sure comes around at first full season in pro baseball, so he has an opportunity to go. Diaz is Always a slow start, or well, at least last year was a slow starter. And I think, at level to level, as he takes these bigger jumps, is going to be a slower starter. But now he's on a ten-game hit streak. Uh, it might even be longer than that now, uh, where he's hitting three fifty over that period. Uh, finally, has crushed it three home runs after not hitting a home run for the first couple weeks in the season, and really has turned around from hitting two hundred and under, to now hitting two seventy three. Um, so. It looks like he's got the slow start behind him, and once his bat heats up, it just takes off. And he's just fun to watch. He's been great at second base. Um, I think that's his long-term position. He does get a little time at short still. Um, I think it was 50-50 the last I checked, uh, but I think they're going to keep playing him more and more just at second base. Of course, as we just talked about with Devon Stearns loves diversity in his players, so he'll pr- always get a little bit of shortstop. I mean, primary position and many scouts agree is likely second base. But this is a guy who I think can really be at Bloxy by mid-year or a little bit later and really helping that offense. Cause the Bloxy offense, there's a reason we didn't talk about it a little bit earlier, very suffocating and hasn't been that strong over the last couple of weeks. Um, and he's one who can really provide a jump start to that. And they might start pushing through the system a little quicker. Um, I mean, you can't say enough good things about what he does. He walks a lot, strikes out a lot too. But again, like as long as you're going to walk enough um, to make up for those strikeouts, which he does, you don't really concern yourself because he still hits all really hard. And then, as you mentioned, Ray struggled. Um, getting a little worried about him. It's way too early to get worried, but it's just. Uh, it's something Brandon Brewers fans, especially I uh, hit like Ricky Weeks syndrome, where they were so aggressive and how they brought Ricky Weeks up. And everyone's positive that that's what led to his struggles, whether it's actually what it was for Matt uh, when he first started as a brewer before he really got his career off. Um, but he's been showing glimpses where he's magnificent and then he just doesn't do as well. Um, he did OK today. Um, full two bases. He's been really good on the base pass so far, but six full on bases, only one caught Where uh, he still haven't really seen that power that they talked about when the Brewers drafted him. Um, but his offensive game, uh, you see flashes of it. You just haven't seen all of it. He hasn't been there for that long. Only 13 games now. So there's still plenty of opportunity to see more. Um, and as the season goes along, They might just have to move him down to the T-Rats and finally let him get some confidence if he doesn't get it here with with the Mudcats. But uh, defensively, you don't see a flaw in this game. He gets really good jumps. He has a really good arm, and he covers center field really well, so he's been fun to watch there.
1: I am taking an obnoxious amount of your time, so I'll ask you just one question about the Timber Rattlers, and we do hope to have uh, Chris Marion on the program next week to go a little bit deeper on on the Timber Rattlers. But uh, Monte Harrison, he's the only Timber Rattler hitting above three hundred, leads the team in home runs, leads the team in RBIs. Just considering what he's been through with the injuries, how great of a story is is Harrison?
3: Uh, It's fantastic. Um, We've seen this version of Monte before. And every time it happens, he seems to have a major injury. Um, a couple of broken bones that kept him out for a long time, and then, re- then he comes back and has a slow start. And it's great for him to come back from his injury, not have a slow start, and just take off like he has. I think he's thriving in a leadership position with the other prospects he's playing with, uh, particularly uh, Demi Ord molloy and um, Mario Feliciano, he seems, when you watch the video, he's always the first one out cheering on a home run um, and really pushing those guys to do better and do their best. He's Another guy, he plays a lot like uh, how you hope Ray would play, where he's got some speed, strikes out, but walks a little bit, or enough to make up for it, and then really drives the ball. But, I mean, it's great to see him finally getting off to a great start, and he's one where I'm sure the Brewers will push him to keep up with everyone he was developing with and uh, with the timber out last year and push him to be the Mudcats sooner than later. And, I mean, he's been really fun to watch. They always say, because he was a two-sport athlete who was actually scouted for football coming out of the draft, and they always say two-sport athletes just take a little while longer to develop. So maybe we're finally seeing everything click completely more than just those little flashes we saw before
1: when i was originally planning on having you on we were going to talk a lot more about the big league team so i feel bad i'm only going to ask you one question uh, about them but we'll have you on many times going forward and we'll get more into that through the month of april going into month of may the brewers are 500 when the season got started if somebody would have given you that proposition would have you taken it
3: yes absolutely I was pretty confident that they're going to finish the season at 78 to 80 wins. I'm still very confident that that's about the level they're playing. Uh, the problem, and I would have picked, if they weren't as young as they were, I would have picked them to do better than that. The problem is they're so young, you have hitters that go into long slums because they're not as adjusted as at coming out of it. Um, and then also the pitching staff just needs upgrades that are on the way, and we already talked about in the minor league. But I think, I'm, I think this is who this team is. They're a very exciting, fun team to watch, and they can win. They can beat good ball clubs, although they haven't beaten the Cubs, really. Um, but they can keep up with good ball clubs, and they're doing what they're supposed to in beating lesser ball clubs, the losers of the division, and they're picking on the cellar dwellers. And that's who, I mean, that's great to see, and especially with the prospect influx that we have coming up to fill the weaknesses as, the people who aren't playing their part are very evident throughout the season, you know, with the, the improvements, when Brinson comes up, if Phillips comes up and Cordell comes up to really help that outfield day-wise and get more offensive power, it's only going to get better. And I mean, I'm really excited about this team. It, and they're really fun to watch.
1: He is Brad Ford. You can read him over at Disciples of Euchre, also Brew Crew Ball. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue, and uh, always has uh, great stuff. And make the, the the with no disrespect meant to any of the writing. When you follow Brad on Twitter, uh, you really get a good capsule all the time of what's going on throughout the uh, entire minor league system, which is awesome. It's been a, it's been a great resource for me, especially uh, during games when I'm getting ready to do my post game show and have a minor league segment. I can know. Uh, I always kind of keep an idea, eye, eye on what Brad's tweeting out and uh, use some of uh, his notes uh, during the course of my post game show. So, Brad, I uh, appreciate you taking a few moments and uh, for sticking with me for quite some time. This is a long interview, so thanks for doing it.
3: Yeah, not a problem. I'll talk prospects with anybody for hours and hours had so, a problem that was Brad
1: Ford appreciate him talking uh, with us again uh, you can read him at uh, brew crew ball disciples of uh, euchre and appreciate him uh, being with us today for really an extended conversation about the minor leagues it's been a fun podcast as we've looked back at the first month of the season for the Brewers and since we were kind of doing a, a look back at Episode we did a look back of the uh, minor league season as uh, as well. So that's been that's been a good time all around. Here is what is on tap coming up over the next few days for the Brewers as they get the month of May officially underway. It will start with a four game series in St. Louis, and that's a good test. I mean, this is this is a Brewers team that in one road trip has played really well on the road, but it's also a Brewers team that has struggled against St. Louis, has struggled in St. Louis and you got 4 games against the Cardinals and in all likelihood Ryan, you know, Ryan Braun's not going to be available what for minimum 2 of those games and maximum all of the games we'll have to wait and see how it plays out but that's a big test for this team sitting at 500 if you want to flirt with 500 you don't want to put yourself in a hole where it's going to be tough to climb that ladder and get back to 500 so we'll see how that goes monday tuesday wednesday are 7:15 starts so you can hear those broadcasts starting at uh, 6 40 on 620 WTMJ. And then Thursday, they'll wrap up that series with a 1245 game. So uh, that means uh, coverage will start at 1205 on WTMJ on Thursday. They then will head to uh, Pittsburgh for a three game series against the Pirates uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And again, they, historically, they have not been especially good against Pittsburgh. So I don't, I mean, if you can go. That's a, So that's a seven-game trip. If you can go three and four on that trip, that keeps you right around 500. Obviously, that's good. You'd love to go above 500. You'd love to go four four and three or five and two, whatever it might be. And uh, The Pirates have certainly been an up-and-down team. The Cardinals do seem to be on a bit of a run recently. But this is an important week. I'm not trying to make too much of the first week of May. I realize it's the first week of May. You don't win a World Series in the first week of May. But as this team sits at 500 through... Uh, the first month of the season, can they continue to be in that area when going on a road trip uh, against a couple teams that they've struggled against. So we'll wait and see on that. All right, that's it for the program. Thanks so much for uh, being tuned in. As always, you can always uh, tweet at me, at Matt Pauley Radio, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y Radio, or drop me an email, matt.pawley at WTMJ.com. Our thanks to uh, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation and also a contributor to FanRag Sports. And also our thanks to uh, Brad Ford for joining us uh, from Disciples of Euchre and Brew Crew Ball. Nobody ever has just one affiliation anymore. In media, you got to be connected to multiple places, and that's the case with both, uh, with both Adam and Brad. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We'll talk to you next week with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ
0: Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.